Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. As we continue through the book of Exodus, we come to a dividing line, a dividing chapter. This chapter is one of the most significant chapters in the whole Bible. As we've seen in Exodus, up till now, chapters 1 through 18, it is God rescuing Israel from slavery, bringing them out of Egypt, defeating the Egyptians, bringing them through the wilderness, and now to Mount Sinai. And in chapter 19, a new chapter opens. First chapter in Exodus, redeeming Israel. Now we have God meeting with Israel, which was the purpose all along was to redeem a people to himself. So he's redeemed them, he's saved them, now he's bringing them to himself. We'll read the whole chapter, starting in verse 1. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain, that, that is Mount Sinai. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought the, back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot. With an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day, in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. 
But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. But the Lord said to him, Away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Not many people may be familiar with this passage. The next passage is the Ten Commandments. Chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments are sort of secondary in this section. They're the fulfillment of what happens here in chapter 19. This is a new section in Exodus, but really it's a new section in the Bible. So chapter 19 breaks up part of the Bible in, in, a, in a significant way. But in this passage, we're going to see that God makes binding agreements with his people in order to create a nation that will worship him and proclaim him as a holy God. God makes covenants with his people. This is a theme throughout the whole Bible. And so what I want to do first is show you that the covenants, which are formal binding agreements between two parties that have sort of conditions. So it's a formal agreement between two parties with conditions. It's very common at this time between kings and ancient governments that would do this. So God used this, but he's been using this since the very beginning. So we go through, there's actually six covenants in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God makes a covenant with all of mankind. You may not know it, but man is born into a covenant with God. In Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. It's verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. That covers everybody. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. And verse 29 says, See, I have given you every herb that, that, that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree which, which, whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. And everything was good. And then in chapter 2, he continues. The Lord says, It's not good that a man should be alone, so he makes a woman. And it says that he shall leave his mother and father and be together, and that they will, they will guard the, the garden. But there was a stipulation. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. As we know from Romans chapter 1, the command was to worship God. Obey God and worship him. That was a covenant with all mankind. God graciously creates, provides, but the covenant requires that man obeys and worships. We can call this Adam's covenant or the covenant of works, or the covenant of mankind. It basically says God gives you everything, life and everything. You respond with worship. But like Adam, if you respond with disobedience, if you worship something else, yourself, you get death. That's the first covenant made with all mankind. God creates life and requires obedience and punishes disobedience with death. And as we know what happened... Adam disobeys, Adam is cursed, all of his descendants are part of that. But then God, there's another curse. So if you've heard of Noah and the ark, man got so bad that God says we're going to start over. And so he created an ark and brings Noah and his family through it. But on the other side, God makes a second covenant. You see, when Noah survived, he was the only family in the world. So they were starting over. So in Genesis chapter 9, God makes a new covenant with Noah and his family, but really with all of Noah's descendants, which include us. 
and in Genesis chapter 9, in Exodus chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, so uh, the Lord uh, spoke to Noah, and he said, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. See the promise? In chapter 9, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Repeats the command that he gave to Adam. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. And then in verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by, his, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it. And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. That would be us. That he would never flood the earth again. This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations, I set my rainbow in the clouds. And it shall be a sign for the covenant between me and the earth. That covenant still exists as you know when you see a rainbow. So that's another covenant that God made with all creation, that you shouldn't kill other people, that you should, that the world will continue as it is and will not be destroyed again. That's an everlasting covenant that God has made with mankind. But there's a third covenant. It's God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He calls out Abraham, and he says, I've got something special for you. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See how big these covenants are? He makes a covenant with Abraham, and he continues in 12, 15, 17, 18. He makes a covenant that says, I will bless you, with a large family, with land, with seed, and you will bless everyone else. That's the covenant specifically that brought us to Exodus, brought Egypt or brought Israel out of Egypt, that promised to Abraham that covenant, the binding agreement. So here in Exodus chapter 19, God makes a new covenant where he will make them a special nation. We'll skip over that real quick. God makes a covenant with David. So this is part of how we understand the whole Bible how we can make sense of all the material there, the covenants. So he makes a covenant with Abraham, makes a covenant with Moses. He makes a covenant with King David. And he tells King David in 2 Samuel 7, you will have children, and there will always be someone as king of Israel from David's house. We know that's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who was a son of David, who will sit on the throne forever. That was a covenant. God says that's going to happen. And then what we'll get to later in the sermon, he made another covenant. A new covenant. Jeremiah 31 says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their, in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day that I brought them and led them out by the hand out of the land of Egypt. So you see the covenants here that, that the Bible has been structured around? Covenant with Adam to all mankind, covenant to Noah with all mankind, then a special covenant with Abraham that will create God's people, Israel, that will bless everyone. Then Moses' covenant. So look in, in, in chapter 19 here. We look at Moses' covenant and what it entailed. You see, covenants all had a structure. In verses 3 to 6, God puts out his covenant. Look at history. Look at all these other covenants we looked at. There's a structure to them. And the first part of a covenant is identifying the parties. 
you go back 3,000 years ago and read an Assyrian covenant, it would have this. So look in verse 3. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall, say, you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Hear the formal language? He's identifying the parties in the covenant. There's two parties, Jehovah, Lord, and the house of Israel, house of Jacob. But then he tells them the history. So the second part is the history of verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, when a king would conquer another country and set up a new covenant with them, he would relate why he's doing it. He would say something like, I showed up with my army and I defeated all of your army. Now here's the covenant. That's what God's doing here. God is saying, here's why I get to make a covenant with you. Because I did something for you. I came and I rescued you. I bore you out in eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So God has done something for Israel. He's brought them to himself, and now he's making a covenant with them. So you have the, the parties involved, the history, then the conditions. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. See the condition? If you obey, if you keep this covenant, all the words I've given you, which would include the Ten Commandments and so on, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, those are the blessings. Obey me, and you shall be a special people, not like anybody else. What's the opposite of that? We learn that later. If you disobey him, you will be like the other nations. And what happened to the other nations? We've seen that already. What happened to Egypt? They were destroyed. What happened to the, the, the uh, people of Canaan? They'll be destroyed. So God is saying, if you obey me, you'll be my special people. But if you disobey me, here are the terms of the covenant. You'll be destroyed like you'll be, the curses of Egypt will bring, be brought upon you. So God doesn't force them into this covenant. You notice that? He says, you should be a special, and you should be a kingdom of priests. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then... All the people answered together and said, basically, they ratified the covenant. God says, here's the covenant I have for you. Do you want it? And what did Israel say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So a covenant was entered into between God and man. God says, I've delivered you and I will care for you in a special way if you'll obey me. And the people said, we will obey you. We want to be a part of this covenant. And so the covenant is ratified. And what was the purpose of this covenant? You see, this is the covenant that goes through the whole Old Testament that Jesus was born into. So Jesus Christ was born into this covenant right here. He was born under the law, it says, which means he, bought, he, he ascribed to this covenant. And here's the purpose. In verse 4, or verse 5, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. This is a historical word, treasure. At that time, the king would own everything. <laughs> Kings thought very highly of themselves. And so they would say, my whole kingdom belongs to the king. It doesn't belong to the people. It doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to the king himself. But within that treasure, within that kingdom that he owned, he would have something very special that he had for himself, particularly. Sort of maybe some statues or some gold treasures. And the, and the word that you would use for that king's special treasure that he would maybe keep in his house or storeroom 
is the same word used here for treasure. So God says, for all the earth is mine. He didn't sort of say, well, I've, I've won back Israel. I've earned Israel and everybody else is doing their own thing. He says, I own everybody. The whole world is mine, which is significant at this time because no one believed that. No one believed that there was one God. So when, when God says this, even the Israelites were maybe a little surprised. He says, I own everything, but out of all the stuff that I own, there's going to be a special treasure just for me that I'll keep close to me, just like the kings would do. That's what he's saying here, that they would have a special place, a special relationship with God that no one else has, an enjoyment. You see, why does a king have a special treasure? Because he enjoys it. He likes it more than other things. And so that's what God is saying to them. He says, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests. Now think about the context here. Israelites knew about priests. Every country had priests. You think back to these old days, they'd worship idols and they'd have sacrifices, and you'd have a priestly class that would sort of mediate that. God is saying, my new nation will be completely different. Everyone will be a priest. And what does a priest do? In the Old Testament, in this time period, priests did two things. They went to God for the people. They had a relationship where they could approach God and offer up service to God that no one else was allowed to do. But then they also taught the people about God. So the priestly class was sort of uh, religious and educational. And you would often see priests carry for schooling, teaching children, uh, handling matters of the law. They taught people. And so he says here, I'm going to have a kingdom of priests. Everyone will worship God, and everyone will teach about God because the whole world didn't know about God. So God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you so that you can worship me and you can tell the rest of the world about me. Sometimes the the history of the Jewish nation is, is sort of God loved them and didn't care about anybody else. He's saying the opposite here. He says, because I love the whole world, I'm making a special people to tell the whole world about me. That's a high honor, especially for people who'd only been, who'd been slaves three months before that. He says, you're not slaves anymore. You're not just free. Now you get to represent me to the world. That's the covenant. And he says, you should be a holy nation. You will be different because of your relationship with God. They'll be changed into something that no one else had seen before. You see what God's doing? He's undoing the fall. Remember Adam created to worship God, to spread the truth of God, to live as a perfect human in that covenant with God. But he broke the covenant, and everything started falling apart. God says, I'm going to undo that, and here's how I'm going to start. I'm going to gather people back to me who can do what Adam was supposed to do, who can worship me, who can love me, who can tell other people about me, who can spread the truth about God. That's what this covenant is doing. You see how significant the covenant is? It's undoing the damage of the world. It's reversing the curse of sin. And God says, do you want to be a part of this? And of course the people said, yes, absolutely. To be a special people to God, to help restore the world back to what it should be. So they ratified and they said, yes. They were to worship God, enjoy God, and tell other people about God. That was the purpose of Israel, to worship and enjoy God and tell other people about God. And that sounds familiar. It is. 
God still has the same purpose that he had for Adam, for Noah, for Abraham, for the children of Israel, for David, and for us. Worship and enjoy God and tell other people about him. That's the purpose of the covenant. Now, since he made a covenant, the point of a covenant is to bring people to God, and that's what's going to happen here. So they gather to the mountain, and God says, now that you've agreed to this covenant, now you're my people. Now I'm going to meet with you, which is good. God, they're his special people. He's going to meet with them. The problem is, for the people, is that as God draws them to himself, his holiness will kill them. He says, come to me, my people. But if you get too close, I'll kill you. You see, there's a problem with the world. God is perfect and holy and righteous, and man is not. And when you put a pure fire next to something corrupt, the fire consumes it. So God says, I'm making a covenant with you, but there are some problems. There's some warnings. And so God says to them, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. Verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today. And in verse 12, you shall set bounds for the people all around. You see what God is saying? He's saying, I'm going to come and meet you. But here's the thing. I'm putting a cloud around myself. So you can see that I'm there, but you can't see me. And then I'm going to put boundaries around the mountain. Because if you even touch the mountain, you'll die. One way to think about this is like radiation. What happens when you touch something that's irritated? You get poisoned. It fills you with power, as it were. Radiation, as far as I know, is power. It's energy. But humans can't handle that kind of energy. And it corrupts, it destroys them. God is the ultimate form of power. The ultimate pure energy. Pure power, pure holiness. And when corrupted, weak people come close to that, they're destroyed by it. It even goes so far as in verse 13, uh, verse 12, whoever touches the mountain shall be surely put to death. God's holiness affects the mountain he's on. So if anyone touches it, they'll be put to death, but not a hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely put, uh, be stoned or shot with an arrow. You see, the holiness of God fills the mountain. When a person touches the mountain, the holiness of God fills them. And what happens to that person? They die. But they're so filled with purity, destroying purity, that someone can't even touch them. This is God showing them the difference between the Lord and between man. He's saying, I love you and I want to be with you and I want to help you and make you a special people, but don't for a minute think that you're not terrible. You see how God's love works? It tells people, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you to myself. But I'm never going to, for a minute, tell you that you're okay. You're not okay. You're weak. You're broken. You're corrupted. You're not holy. God is holy. So God puts on a huge display here of the difference between man and God. So they put boundaries around it. So God is even protecting them from himself. He says, put a boundary up so that I won't have to kill you. In verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and they sanctified themselves. And in verse 16, then it came on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Try to picture in your head a giant mountain that's completely engulfed in black smoke, like a furnace. 
and in it there's fire and lightning and thunder. We've never seen anything like that. The mountain itself was shaking. A thick cloud of the mountain, the sound of a trumpet was very loud. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain in front of this huge furnace. The lightning, have you ever stood in front of a bad storm? This is worse than that. And Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. The entire mountain was having an earthquake, and the people were standing before it. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, can you imagine this? There's lightning, there's smoke, there's earthquakes, there's a sound of a trumpet that just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. And what was the reaction of the people? It says uh, that they trembled greatly. Have you ever been so afraid that you shook? That's what they were doing. They were so afraid that they couldn't control their bodies and they were shaking with fear. We don't get into situations like that very often. Have you ever been almost in a car accident and afterwards you're shaking? They're in the car accident. It hasn't quite happened yet. They're so afraid they're shaking. Now, sometimes we look back at these people and like, oh, those, they don't know anything. They're so primitive. They've been through a lot. In fact, if they looked to us, they'd say, you guys are kind of soft. We just walked through the desert. We just went and escaped from slavery. So they're a very strong and durable people. Hardworking, had been under oppression for a long time and survived that. But yet when they stand before God, a veiled God, not even the true God exposed, they're shaking with fear. If you ever see a grown man shaking with fear, it's not a, it's scary. The entire nation is shaking with fear because they were getting close to God. It's so bad when God spoke that they tell Moses, Moses, you talk to God. We don't want to hear his voice. They said, we can't handle the voice of God. We're too afraid. God was showing them something. He was saying, I'm holy, you're not. And so what they needed was they needed a mediator. They said to Moses, and God knew this, he says, they're not going to be able to handle me. So Moses will go between. That's what he does. He keeps on going up and down the mountain. So Moses came and called for the elders, and then he went up to the Lord. Then he went back down to the people. Can you imagine Moses? You know, it's a good thing he's in good shape. He's actually 80 years old at this point. But God had performed a miracle. So he has to climb the mountain to God to the top. He speaks to God, then he climbs back down to the people. There had to be someone to go between because the people were not good enough to meet God. And yet God wanted to meet the people. And so Moses was sort of the in-betweener. Here's what we need to realize. This God that is making this mountain quake, that is threatening to kill people, has not changed. He's just invisible. And so we, as people who believe what's only right in front of us, think that God is not really like this anymore. Because I don't see any mountains that are on fire. I don't see any earthquakes. I don't hear God's voice. I've heard many people say, well, if God would speak to me from heaven, then I would believe. Are you sure you want that? You see what happened to these people? But we need to recognize God is still just as holy and just as present, even though he's invisible. And if we were to ever see God, we would fall down like they did. God's invisibility does not change his holiness or his power, which makes this 
passage we're reading so much more important. What's the relevance of a, of a document that's 3,000 years old written to a people on another continent? It's telling us, here's who God is. See it here so you know. You don't need to stand in front of Sinai. You don't need to hear God's voice from heaven. You don't need to see an earthquake. You just need to read about it and believe it. See, the problem is not that God doesn't speak to us directly. It's that when he speaks to us, we don't believe what he said. See, the Bible is called the word of God. Just like they, the God spoke to Moses, he's speaking to us right now. And he's saying to us, I'm so holy that when sinful man comes close to me, he'll die. Do we view God that way? Or is God just someone who helps us out? God is someone who's on our side fighting for us. Those may be true, but the essence of God is power and lightning and fire, thunder, purity, holiness. And so he's making a covenant with Israel, and he's teaching them who he is. Now, some people try to keep this covenant to this day. This was called the Mosaic Covenant. And if you meet a, a practicing Jew who practices the law, he's keeping this covenant. The problem is, well, there's two problems. One, God promised a new covenant, but this covenant is not good enough. God never meant for this covenant to last forever. This covenant is limited. As amazing as this story is about God bringing out a people and showing how powerful he is, we need a better covenant. Here's why. Here are the limits of the Mosaic Covenant. Look in the passage. Verse 12, you shall set bounds for the people all around. God made a covenant and they got closer to God than any other nation, yet not quite. They couldn't quite get to God. Boundaries had to be set up. They couldn't see God. There had to be a separation because of their unholiness. So this covenant only got them close to God, but not to God. There was limited access to God. But there's also a limited mediator. Moses turns out not the greatest person in the world. Sorry to disappoint you. But look why. He's not God, so he has to go to God for the people. Yet he can't bring God to the people. So he's this sort of in-between person who can't quite bring God to the people and can't bring the people to God. So all he can do is just bring messages back and forth. So the mediator of this covenant that many still try to follow today is nothing more than just a messenger who can do nothing really to bring God and man together, can do nothing to correct the mistakes of man. And we'll see that later. Moses got very angry with the people, but he didn't change them. And the people followed Moses, but they didn't get close to God. There was always a boundary. So the mediator was limited, but also the blessings were limited. We don't always see this because we think this is what we want. Oh, I would love it if I was God's special treasure and he would make me better than everybody else and give me land. See, that was a covenant. I'll give you land and power and money and safety, all those things that we want for our lives and our families. We want to provide for our families. We want to protect our families. We want to be successful. We want to be different than everyone else. We want to be better in this world. That's what this covenant promises. It promises protection. It promises a good family. It promises a homeland that's not invaded by outside forces. 
But that's all it promises. See, the Mosaic Covenant couldn't fix what's inside of you. All it could do is add more stuff to your wallet, more land to your property. It couldn't fix your heart. You see, the people stood before God, and they were afraid. They trembled. And yet, it wasn't very long before they left God and worshipped false gods. What had happened? They were broken on the inside. They were bad on the inside. So we see it with all the people through the Bible, that whatever boundaries you put around them, whatever laws you give them, whatever God does for them, they're always going to mess up. They always mess up. We are no different. You see, if we follow this covenant, even if we could get the blessings, it doesn't fix us. It just makes life a little bit easier while we're broken. And yet this is what we look for out of God. We pray to God to give us stuff. We pray as if we lived 3,000 years ago at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God says, that's not enough. I've got a better covenant for you. Because in this covenant, it says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then I will bless you. You see, Israel couldn't even get the physical blessings. They had limited ability. They wanted to. They said, God, we'll, we'll worship you. We'll follow you. We'll do anything you say. We're sincere. We really want it. And I believe they did. And about a few weeks later, they said, no, nah, we changed our minds. We don't want it anymore. That goes on for hundreds of years. Jesus dealt with the same problem. We have the same problem. We make a strong commitment to do right. Three weeks later, we're back where we started. You see, we can't even keep the terms of the old covenant. Why would we want to go back to it? The old covenant never enabled people to do anything. It just told them where they were wrong. It just said, no, you messed up again. No, you're not good enough. Nope, not, you're broken. Just to let you know, you're terrible. That was the old covenant. So what does God do? He promises a new covenant. That's what Jeremiah 31 says. He goes, I'm going to give you, and behold, the days will come, I'll give you a new covenant. Not like the old covenant that I made with the children of Israel at Sinai. You see, if you just stop right here at this chapter, what does it get you? It's, it's true, and it happened. But we need something better. And so God says, I will give you a new covenant that's superior in all the ways that the old covenant was limited. I'll correct all the limitations. I'll expand all the limitations. It'll be better and superior. It'll give you what you really need. The Mosaic Covenant was just a stop on the road to where God was going. And he never meant for anyone to stay there. So God says, here's the superior of the, of the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, you had boundaries around God. The New Covenant is unlimited access. Hebrews 10 says, Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice, sat down forever at the right hand of God. In verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Wait. If they had boldness to enter into holiness, they were killed. That's the old covenant. The new covenant says you just stroll right in. You walk right up Mount Sinai, right up to the top. Don't worry about it. Boldness to enter into God's very presence. There's no barrier now. You see how much better this new covenant is? Boldness to walk up Mount Sinai and see God face to face and live. Why is that? Because there's a better mediator. 
All Moses could do was take messages back and forth. But the new mediator of the new covenant is Jesus Christ himself. And who is Jesus Christ? Jesus, the son of Mary, the son of David, the man, Christ Jesus. But also the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. You see what God has done? He says, I don't need just a messenger. I need a person who can go to Mount Sinai as God and go down to man as man. Jesus was both God and man. Why? So he could do what Moses couldn't. He could bring the top of Mount Sinai down to the people. He bridged the gap in himself. That's why it says Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Remember the people, they couldn't get to the mountain. Why? Because they weren't perfect. Look what Jesus has done. He's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. Remember, Moses consecrated the people. Not good enough. Jesus has consecrated a new way through the veil. That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Not just our bodies washed, but our hearts sprinkled. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to make a way for you to get up to Mount Sinai. But the only way to do that is to bring it together into one person. But because God made a covenant, an everlasting covenant, he still had to kill everyone that wasn't perfect. You couldn't just say, well, we're just going to pretend like you're perfect. Just go on ahead up Mount Sinai. No. Imperfect people die because they're imperfect. So Jesus is not just a mediator who embodies both God and man. He's also the sacrifice. What happens when an unholy person touches Mount Sinai? They're killed. That's why it says Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, therefore, brethren, having boldness into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, no, it's okay, just come on up. He said, I'll be killed for you. You should be killed for touching Mount Sinai, but I'll be killed for you. So this new covenant is not just God saying, I'm going to make things easier for everybody. He says, now I'm going to pay for it with blood. So Jesus Christ, the God-man, makes a way for us, not by dismissing the law, but by fulfilling it in his death. And now what do we get? You see, the old covenant had limited blessings, some land, some property, some families, some money. What does the new covenant give us? It says that we are raised up to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Can you imagine telling that to Israel? Forget the land. You're going to sit with Messiah. They're like, that that doesn't make any sense. Jesus says, no, you get to sit with me. You get to sit with the person who rules the world. We will rule and reign with Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in heavenly places. A new car can't compare to that. Unless you think all this there is is just this world right here. Looking for a new car or for a family or for protection or for safety is saying, this is it. There's nothing else. And yet what the covenant is saying is, no, there's more. God can fix you on the inside, then he's going to bless you in the same way that he's going to bless Jesus Christ. Raise the sit in heavenly places. Not just stuff, but status. Real power, real communion, real holiness, 
sanctified forever, living in a new creation. You see, the new covenant just made a little place out of the world for God's people. The new covenant that remakes the old makes the whole world God's kingdom. It's not just a section, it's the whole world. And how is this? Remember the limited ability? Nothing's changed there. We still have limited ability. See, the, new, the old covenant said, do right, be blessed. But no one could do right. So God says, here's a new covenant. Jesus does right, you get blessed. That's a good deal. That's a covenant you want to be in. Jesus does everything perfectly, you get all the benefits. You do everything terribly, Jesus gets all the punishment. There's no downside. Because it's paid for by his blood. He made this new way in his own body. You see why Jesus Christ must needs be killed, the Bible says? He had to be killed. Jesus had to be tortured to death on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to be. Take Jesus off the cross, make it a good story. There's no way to heaven. There's no way to God. You pay for your own mistakes. Kill Jesus on the cross, he pays for your mistakes. That's the new covenant. Your ability is unlimited to keep the commandments. Why? Because you don't have to keep them. You don't have to keep any of the covenants. Christ kept them for you. You don't pay for any of your mistakes. Christ paid for all of them. It says, he has offered one sacrifice for sins forever. How many more sacrifices need to be made? None. You can't do enough wrong for there to be another sacrifice. You can't mess up enough for God to have to pay again. God will never punish you if you're in this covenant because he punished Christ. Some of us struggle with that, like, ah, I got to make myself pure. I got to punish myself for that. God saved me, but I did this wrong. I got to pay for it. No, either Jesus pays for it all or he doesn't pay for any of it. See, this is a covenant. This isn't just a relationship. This is a covenant with formal boundaries. And the boundaries are Jesus pays for everything. Jesus earns everything. You get the blessings with none of the work. You can't change the boundaries. You can't change God's covenant. How do you enter this covenant? Because isn't that what we want to know? Sometimes sermons are so practical, they only deal with things that are going to be around for a few years. This is talking about everything. This is saying this is not just a new family, a new way of life. This is a new reality. God is remaking reality around this covenant. He's saying, I'm undoing everything that's gone wrong for thousands of years. When Adam broke the first covenant, the earth was cursed. The new covenant is unwinding the curse so that one day there will be no curse. Death will become undone. You're either in that covenant or you're being undone. How do you enter the covenant? You do the same thing they did. We're in. You say to God, I'm in. This is all I want. This is everything. I bring nothing to the table. Nothing I've ever done, good or bad, doesn't matter. I just say, I'm here at the foot of Mount Sinai with nothing to offer, and I receive everything you give me. The Bible calls it repentance and faith. You say to God, your covenant is good and true. 
I want to be a part of it, but I've got nothing to offer. And God says, welcome in. That's a better covenant. That's a new covenant. But you see, what's great about this is the purpose is still the same. The covenant's new, but the purpose is the same. What was the purpose of the old covenant? To worship and enjoy God and tell other people about him. First Peter, now we're in the new covenant, the New Testament. But you, church, you believers, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. He's quoting, the old, he's quoting this covenant. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The old covenant was to bring a people to himself to tell other people. The new covenant, in a better way, does the same thing. You, bring, you come into the covenant with nothing, but then God says, now that you're in, here you go. Here's a purpose to your life. Here's a reason to wake up in the morning. Here's a reason to exist. Here's a reason to go through days when nothing else matters. Here's how you get through heartache and loss. When all the world takes away your stuff, here's what you've got. A heavenly, eternal calling. Worship God and tell other people about him. No one can take that away from you. See, Jesus bought it with his blood. Hebrews actually preaches a sermon from this chapter. Hebrews 12 says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, he should be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. No, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates a removal of all things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, the things that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is still a consuming fire, but we're not at Mount Sinai anymore. We're at Mount Zion. And if you will turn away from everything and trust God, trust what Christ has done for you, you get this new covenant. And the things that shaken will be taken away. But we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ made a way for you in his own body. Let's pray.